0: You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. Well, as I said, my name is Joe, and I am not a pastor here. I've been a a member of Connection Church here for eight years, and uh, I have this privilege of of getting to preach every summer, this uh, we as a church go through the Psalms and we also take it as an opportunity to invite men like me who have a desire to uh, study and, and train in being able to teach God's word. Um, so I am just so gifted with this opportunity. Um, if you uh, haven't met me yet, I recommend, if there's only one thing for you to know about me, I recommend you get to know my wife Abby, and my daughter, Eva. They are the best thing about me, so um, just head straight for that. Today, we're going to open up Psalm 80, so I invite you there now. One of the best things about getting to preach um, is getting to study. And the past few weeks as I've been preparing and studying this psalm in particular, um, I have preached a few times before, and there has not been a time greater than this that I've actually wept multiple times in the study of this. And as you're getting to know my wife, you can ask her, that's not a normal thing for me. And uh, that's because there is something powerful here. So my hope is I can just step out of the way and God's word will meet you as it has met me. So I hope that will happen today. Today we're going to talk about restoration. So I invite you now, um, as that's the theme because this is a prayer for God to bring restoration, you will get the most out of the next several minutes. If you think, turn inside now, think, where in my life do I want to experience restoration? Where do I need to see restoration? What in my life, and circumstances around me, in the world, in my heart, needs supernatural restoration? We're not here because I'm a good public speaker. And we're not here just because this is a good read. We're here because this means something. God's word means something for us that is life-changing. God has preserved this across time because today we need it. So I invite you now to dig in. Where in your life do you want to see something restored supernaturally? And if there's only one thing I hope you take away from this psalm this morning, it's that this is possibly the most profound and incredible recording of a prayer that has been answered of all time. I'm going to make that claim, and you can, you can challenge me on that another time, and I'd love to see that prayer that's answered also. So now let's read Psalm 80. To the choirmaster, master, according to lilies, a testimony of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted and for the son of whom you made strong for yourself." They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we will not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God, O Lord of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And as I said, I hope this meets you in the same way that God has allowed it to meet me in the past few weeks. One of the most important things for the setting of this psalm, for understanding where this is coming from, is to understand a little bit about the author. And we only know a little bit, but what we do know is very helpful. The author is Asaph, and he was appointed by King David to be sort of like a worship leader, a leader of music. And so he served in that position during the later parts of, of King David's reign and, and also during King Solomon's reign after him. So think, if you're a history person and you know dates, and I'm not, so I had to look this up, think around the time of 970 B.C., give or take a few decades. It's important to understand the author on this one because knowing the author can change or dramatically affect our understanding of a song and this is a song or a prayer. Take for example, Billy Joel Armstrong. He is the front man for the band Green Day and he wrote a well-known song that's called Wake Me Up When September Ends and they're kind of a punk band rock. They, uh, when, they, when they play that song, if you don't know anything about it, it kind of just sounds whiny, a little apathetic, lazy. Um, but when you hear the backstory, it changes something. He, uh, When he was about 10 years old, his dad died of cancer in the fall. And he, after the funeral, went and locked himself in his room. And when his mother knocked on the door, he said, Wake me up when September ends. So once you know that about it, you're like, Oh, that changes everything. Another example for you, Horatio Spafford, which is a much cooler name even than Billy Joel Armstrong, He wrote the song, It Is Well, and we sing that song here as a church. He wrote the words, When peace like a river attends my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever happens to me, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, talking to God, it is well with my soul. This sounds like a guy who's kind of got figure it figured out. He just has a profound faith, probably because God has showed him how faithful he is, and he just is okay. He's a cool dude. He's chill, and he's well with, with, with everything that's going on around him, good things and bad. Well, the backstory, again, can change the meaning of, of the song, or at least enhance it, because the backstory is that in 1873, which is when this was written, he uh, sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship from the States to Europe. They were going to ha- take a trip to Europe and, and have a holiday there. At the last minute, plans changed, and uh, he needed to stay back for a few days. And so he sent his wife and his four daughters on a ship, and he was going to take the next one. And This was in late November, and in the middle of the sea, the ship collided with another ship, And sunk in a matter of minutes. His wife was found unconscious but alive on some wreckage and all four of his daughters did not survive the crash. When he heard word he immediately got on the next available ship and he went to um, go sail across and meet his wife in France. And while he was on his way, the captain found him in his cabin and said, come come out here, I have something to show you. And he said, this place where we are right now in the ocean is where the ship that your family was on sunk. And, you know, I thought you would want to know that. And so he went out on the deck and he looked out over the, the waves, the sea billows, if you will, and he went back to his cabin and he wrote those words. And all of a sudden, that takes on some more meaning, Right? That's powerful. Well, the story behind this song, or at least Asaph, the author, is that he is a man that saw and felt and tasted the brutality of the disparate ways of the world and the way of God. He felt an overwhelming pull toward the world, but was called away by God from it to be obedient and have faith in God instead. He knew the truth and he was sad about it. And he devoted his life to leading others to choose obedience to God instead of the world. Asaph, is, this might be a helpful way to understand it, he kind of was drawn to the American dream, which didn't exist at the time, but that's the word that we have for that, that general sense now. But then his eyes were open to the reality of in, in light of eternity. One commentarian wrote it this way, and I think this is a really helpful way to summarize Asaph's experience and background. He said, Asaph looked around, and it seemed as if the wicked were blessed, and the righteous were cursed. Yet for Asaph, everything changed when he went into the sanctuary of God. Here, he gained an eternal perspective. He saw that the blessings of God is the stuff of eternity, You can read all about that in Psalm 73, which is very autobiographical in a way, uh, written by Asaph. But that's the context. That's the story behind a man who is demanding explanation and restoration from God. This is a psalm of lament, but I think, personally, that is missing a key ingredient or a part to a typical psalm of lament. A song of lament, and I I got this observation from a man named Mark Vrogup originally, but I think this is a fairly logical understanding that you can gain from reading different psalms of lament, is that there's four parts or four key ingredients. And it's helpful to understand that as a framework to then read Psalm 80 and even contrast to other psalms of lament. So the four parts or four key ingredients to a psalm of lament, the first is a turn or cry out to God, emphasis being God, that uh, you, you are crying out to God, you are praying to God. The second is that you complain to God. That's the second ingredient in a psalm of lament. The third is that you're asking God for something. You have a request, a plea, and then, lastly, that there's a section that involves trust, a declaration of God's character or faith in God, a remembrance of something that He's done. It says, "But I believe, I believe You will do this, or I, I, I see that You have been faithful, and therefore I trust in You." So, as we begin, I hope that you will become like Asaph. In the way that he has had his eyes open to the emptiness and brokenness that is this life alone, that that this life alone has to offer and gain his eternal perspective. I hope that you'll have a deep sense of unrest about the way things are in relation to how they should be and see our desperate need for restoration. And I hope that you'll gain the faith in God that is required to become indignant about evil, the unfairness, the distance that we still experience from God and begin to cry out to him about it. So let's dig in. Instead of going through sections, we're going to go through themes like I just laid out, first being turn or cry out to God. The first ingredient is to cry out to God instead of other things. Asaph addresses God as the shepherd, the most high king, And the one who is mighty and able to save. Then he pauses for the first of three refrains and repeats, each with increasing emphasis. Restore us, he requests. Let your face shine on us that we might be saved. That face shine upon us might seem foreign and a little weird to us because we don't use that language. But it, it comes from something powerful. Um... Asap's ancestors, the Egyptians, back when Moses was the appointed leader for the Israelites to deliver them from captivity to the Egyptians, Moses and Aaron were were leading them. And God said this to Moses in Numbers uh, chapter 6, verse 22 through 27. He says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, uh, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So Asaph is referencing this as if to say, what of that blessing, Lord? Where is that now? That blessing that you meant for your people. And so according to this promise of God that God delivered, he's asking him for it. Asaph is asking for a kind of restoration that requires salvation and blessing that can only come from the Lord. He's not asking for something that can be done by the work of human hands. He's asking for restoration that can only come from the Lord. Faith is not demonstrated by turning to God when prayers have been answered already. Faith is demonstrated by turning to God when they haven't yet. And so, as often as we talk about Psalms of Lament, we ask, where do you turn? If the first step is turn to God, where do you turn? Who do you turn to? What do you turn to? Asaph sees this issue that he's experiencing oppression from enemies, decay of his nation, he is experiencing this as a God issue. That's why he's crying out to God for help. So there's two things that we can take away from that. Uh, Two things that keep us from crying out to God are not believing something is a God issue which Asaph is here. He's crying out to God. So we can either not believe that something is a God issue, or we can believe that we can fix God issues. Either of those instances might draw us to not reach out to God for help. But I want to tell you that what is happening in the world, what is happening in this country, what is happening in your family, and what is happening in your heart is a God issue. I am convinced by the works of Jesus that God does not work in people's hearts merely to affect providential outcomes in the world around us in order to carry out his plan. I am convinced by the works of Jesus that God works providentially in the world around us to affect change in our hearts, and that is his plan. God came to the world in flesh, which is super personal. He became a person. And when Jesus was here, he healed people of physical maladies. Now, those of you who know the end of the story, you know that his end goal was to purchase salvation, eternal life, not dying, resurrection from the dead. And he still healed people of physical maladies. People whose physical bodies would still die in this lifetime. Why do you think he did that? I'm sure there's a few reasons, some preachables that can come from that notion. But here's one. Those who were healed of physical illnesses were introduced to the healer of spiritual sickness. What's happening in the world, what's happening in this country, what's happening in your family, what's happening in your heart right now is a God issue, and he is at work to restore that back to himself, to introduce you to the healer. So the second ingredient or step in a lament is to complain. Asaph says, you have fed us with the bread of tears. You have made us an object of contention with our neighbors. Asaph is recognizing God as the author and holder and keeper of all things, even the bad. And that's hard for us to stomach sometimes. It's hard for us to say and to get to. Asaph owns up to the fact that his people have been disloyal. In verse 18, he refers to that. But he says, why do you ignore us? Do you see how bad it is? Do you see what we see? Can you feel what we feel? And here we are praying to you for help and healing, and we are getting nothing back from you, God. Why are you angry with us? That's a good prayer. What would it take for you to pray like that? Bringing your raw, bitter, unfiltered thoughts and feelings to God requires a profound faith in him. I don't want you to miss that. I think that is a key for us to actually beginning to pray like Asaph does. Bringing your raw, bittered, and unfiltered thoughts and feelings to God requires a profound faith in him. It requires seeing God for who he is. When we separate our lives and what's happening in and around us from God, detaching those two, by praying and talking to him in a way that is completely disjointed from what is actually happening around to us, we imply that he is careless and powerless. But that's not true. Asaph goes on and he introduces the analogy of the vine, and that becomes the most prominent theme in this whole psalm. It says, you brought a vine up out of Egypt. You built it up. You made it strong." made it to thrive, and then you allowed it. You exposed it to enemies, and now it's being destroyed. And notice that language, you brought up a vine. You cleared the ground for it. Why then have you broken down its walls? There is no being who could be less shocked by your realization that things are not the way they should be than God even if that involves the state of your heart. I think for a lot of us, it's easy to read a psalm of lament and, and even dream up a, a, a prayer of lament if we have been victims of circumstances, people, the world around us, and have been afflicted with hardship. Maybe you're not grieving or limiting things that have been done to you Maybe you need to lament the state of your heart or your deep need for restoration within. Then Asaph turns his complaining about why things are not the way they are and he moves to asking for restoration, which is the third ingredient to a prayer or psalm of lament. He says, turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see us. Have regard for this vine. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. And that's how his prayer ends. But that's not how the story ends. And so we move to the fourth ingredient, which is trust or remembrance. And that step or ingredient in a prayer of lament is typically a declaration of trust or remembrance, seems to be missing here, or at least lacking a great deal. It's really weak. There's not a lot of it in this psalm. It seems as though a prayer in bitter sorrow is the only remaining shred of faith that Asaph had. Just simply praying to God was a last amount of faith he could muster. A mustard seed sized, you might say. See, God had a plan for the restoration of his people, even before Asaph prayed. The the restoration that Asaph was asking for was for the Israelites his people, specifically the tribes of Israel, admits the destruction and decay that he was experiencing in his lifetime. But the plan for restoration that God had was much bigger than that. To see the plan unfold, I invite you to read the whole New Testament. Since we don't have time for that today, I invite you to read just one small part Remember what I said earlier that this is possibly the most incredible and profound recording of a prayer that has been answered of all time? I didn't mean that this is the most incredible prayer of all time, and I didn't mean that this is a recording of an answered prayer. I just mean that this is a recording of a prayer that we know and can see has been answered. And we see it answered in John chapter 15, verse 5. And I invite you there now. John chapter 15, verse 5. Speaking here is Jesus, the Messiah, Christ, the Son of God, sent to the world. He is preaching, and he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Asaph is crying out to God and he says, you planted this vine, then you brought it to to destruction. Have regard for this vine. And the Son of God answers him, I am the vine. If you think lament like this is dramatic, you're missing our desperate need for restoration and saving. And if you think this lament is hopeless, you're missing the radical saving work of God accomplished through Jesus. This is how God answered Asaph's prayer. Asaph says, you brought up a vine, a healthy vine, then you broke it down and opened it up for attack. Jesus says, I am the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Asaph says, turn again, O God of hosts, have regard for this vine and for the son of whom you made strong for yourself. And God says, Here is my son, my only son, in whom I am well pleased. I love you so much that I am sending him to you so that whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. Asaph says, They have burned this vine, your people, the vine, with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. Restore us, O God of hosts. And God says, my son whom i sent to save you you took and you cut him down and instead of causing you to perish and forsaking you he instead was pierced for your transgressions he instead was crushed for your iniquities upon him i placed the chastisement that brought you peace and by his wounds you are restored Asaph says, save us, then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. And Jesus says, in my last days, when they came for me, you ran away from your Savior. You denied even knowing me, but I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always to the end of this age. I don't say these things to discourage you from praying like Asaph. It almost seems like he got it wrong, like he messed up. He prayed a bad prayer. That's not true. I say these things to you so that you'll know that God answers these prayers. So pray like Asaph and rest in knowing that Jesus has and is answering your prayer with something far better than you could ever know to ask for. Even though Asaph was a man who had abandoned the pursuit of ultimate meaning and satisfaction in this life and turned his eyes to eternal things, even he missed it. He couldn't see it all. Even he didn't see beyond the pain of his immediate circumstances to imagine a world restored by Christ Jesus. So if you felt like you had to pray a certain way, pray the right things, say the right words, or even know the best outcome to ask for, Pressure is off because the little restoration you want to experience in your life is far more important to God than you know. And His plan to carry out that restoration is far greater than you could ever imagine. And did you see? There's a takeaway here. Jesus gave us the key, He gave us something to do, which we like. We know how to pray now. Give us something to do, Jesus. He says, I am the vine. If anyone remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He is saying that he and only he is what makes the people of God the people of God. Not the Israelites. The people that are attached to, growing from, connected to, extending from the vine that is Jesus. And what does he say to do? He says, remain in me, abide in me, stay with me. So who gets to experience the restoration that this psalm asks for? The people of God. And who are the people of God? Those who are connected to and growing from Jesus. Those who abide with, remain with Jesus. So that gives us two things to do. We know now to pray to God and ask for restoration. And we know now to abide with Jesus. So do you want to experience restoration? That thing that hopefully you thought of, beginning to pray for in your life, a deep need that you see around you or even inside your heart? You want to see restoration in the world? Pray and stay with Jesus. You want to see restoration in our nation or in our city? Pray and stay with Jesus. You want to experience restoration in this church? Pray and stay with Jesus. You want to experience restoration in your friendships, distanced family, pray and stay with Jesus. You want to experience restoration in your marriage, pray and stay with Jesus. And because God is a powerful God, if you want to experience restoration in your own heart, cry out to God and cling to Jesus. When we get this, we become a people that are unrelentingly passionate about being with Jesus. But there is a tension here that I'm afraid that I've introduced while talking about restoration and the fulfillment of it that I want to speak to. You might be thinking, if Jesus accomplished a work of restoration for all time for his people, why is there still evil and hurting happening in the world? Why are people still sinning? Why am I still sinning? Jesus came and he accomplished for us a once and for all work of salvation, so much that he said it is finished before he died on the cross. But when he left the earth, he said he would be coming back. So the story's not over. And we are here now in a mystery of a time that I've heard best described as the already and not yet. Jesus has already come and Jesus has not yet come. Jesus has already accomplished the work of restoration and we are not yet fully restored. Jesus has already started this work in us, as he says, and he will carry it on to completion. We are still in this present age although Jesus has already come, and we are already experiencing the, and, and get a taste of the age to come, although Jesus hasn't come back yet. It's a mystery, and we can't understand it except by faith. And one day, we will understand this mystery because we will be with Jesus. We will see him, and our faith will be replaced with sight. As I said before, I hope that you will be like Asaph in the way that he has had his eyes opened to the emptiness and brokenness that this life has to offer and gain his eternal perspective. And I hope that you'll have a deep sense of unrest about the way things are in relation to how they should be and see our desperate need for restoration. But then I hope that you will be utterly gripped with the life-changing truth and hope found in Jesus' answer and the promises therein. Jesus' answer to Asaph's prayer stirs up longer verses of faith in my heart to meditate on. When I read John chapter 15, next to Psalm 80, perhaps the, the remnants of faith seen in Psalm 80 grow much larger and we can add verses to it. Take this example. I told you about a man named Horatio Spafford earlier. He wrote the song, It Is Well. After he, in this song, It Is Well, after he declares that God has taught his soul to be well in times of peace and in times of sorrow, he goes on to explain why. And I want to talk through some of these. He says, when trials come, he is blessed with an assurance, he says that this is the insurance, that Christ has regarded his helplessness and has shed his own blood for my soul. He goes on to talk about his own sin. Remember the context here. He goes on to talk about his own sin. He says, his failing and his imperfection, he says, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. He just has to pause to take a moment to even comprehend what's going on here. He says, my sin, not in part, but the whole, all of it, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Drives him to praise. Finally, the last verse. He talks about a day when faith will become sight. He says, Lord, haste this day. Bring it quickly. When the not yet is fully overtaken by the already and awaiting Christ's coming is a thing of the past. When our battered and bruised and yet fully assured faith becomes sight and we are with Jesus. Anthems of faith such as this are added to our song of lament when we see Jesus and abide in Him. Our suffering, the depraved and seemingly hopeless state of the world, and our need for restoration is met with and eclipsed by the beauty of Christ's saving work, the thoroughness of the fullness of His promises, or the fulfillment of His promises, and the steady hope of what is to come. And when that happens praise ensues. Will you pray with me? Lord, we look to you, we cry out to you now, and we see our desperate need for restoration. We see our desperate need for saving. We look to you and we, we ask that you would bring that. We thank you for Jesus' saving work. We praise you that what he's done is so thorough and far beyond what we could ever imagine to pray for, hope to pray for. And we thank you that it's effective. God, would you help our tendency to fade into the hums of the world and to even look for some some passive fulfillment in the way of this world, which keeps us from seeing our need for restoration. Would you help us? Would you help us see how far we are from the way that things should be? And would you remind us of your son who has made a way for us to be back with you Lord would you give us an assured faith a hope that's unwavering would you remind us of your goodness of your faithfulness towards us Lord you have restored us and you are going to finish restoring us And we look forward to that day. Lord, would you bring that day quickly? Lord, would you make us a people that are unrelentingly passionate about being with you? About singing about you, about telling people, look what God has done. It's in your name that we pray and we believe. Amen.